Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Donald Trump said he would be arrested today. That has not yet happened. The lead starts right now. Republican officials rushing to defend Trump with a variety of claims and excuses as the former president faces a possible indictment. I think in your heart of hearts, you know, too, that you think this is just political. Is this all firing up the MAGA base? We'll talk to two former Trump insiders. Plus, the meeting with a menacing message. Leaders of Russia and China coming out of their second day of talks and offering deliberate proposals about a future collaboration and a Colorado dentist accused of killing his wife by lacing her protein shakes with arsenic. How his internet searches became evidence. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper and we start today with our politics lead in a high alert day for New York City police bracing for possible unrest if Donald Trump is indicted. An internal memo Shared with CNN shows that all NYPD officers are expected to be in uniform and ready for deployment today. Although law enforcement officials also say there are no credible threats in New York City. Protesters against Trump and some of his supporters gathered in Manhattan today, the day Trump predicted he would be arrested in that hush money case involving former porn actress and director Stormy Daniels. Prosecutors are weighing whether to charge Trump with crimes related to his allegedly falsifying business records to hide that payment from voters before the election in 2016, and who knows, perhaps even hiding it from his wife. Here in Washington, D.C., police are similarly preparing. Bike racks have gone up around the U.S. Capitol. Lawmakers have been told they might see extra police presence around the area. And in Orlando, Florida, House Republicans at their annual retreat are doing everything they can to belittle the potential charges and potential prosecution before they even see the evidence. This was personal money. This wasn't trying to hide. This was seven years ago, statute of limitation. And I think in your heart of hearts, you know, too, that you think this is just political. And I think that's what the rest of the country thinks. And we're kind of tired of that. Kevin McCarthy there, presuming to speak for the entire country. CNN's Paula Reed starts off our coverage from New York, where prosecutors are facing a deadline to make any decisions on any charges. This was the day former President Trump claimed he would be arrested on charges related to a hush money probe. But there is no sign yet of an arrest or even an indictment. Still, law enforcement continues to prepare for possible protests. In Washington, D.C., barriers erected around the Capitol. In New York, police officers told to be in uniform and ready for deployment. So far, officials say there are no credible threats, despite online chatter calling for civil war if Trump is indicted. Today, small groups gathered outside Trump Tower and Mar-a-Lago. There has been no word from the Manhattan District Attorney after a last-ditch effort by Trump to avoid charges. 
Attorney Robert Costello appearing before the grand jury Monday to attack the witness at the center of the investigation, Michael Cohen. My obligation is to bring the truth to both the district attorney and to Trump's lawyers. That's exactly what I did. Costello previously represented Cohen. If they want to go after Donald Trump and they have solid evidence, so be it. But Michael Cohen is far from solid evidence. It is unclear whether the grand jury will hear from more witnesses as it investigates a $130,000 payment to porn star Stormy Daniels to silence her about an alleged affair with Trump. She was paid by Cohen in the final days of the 2016 campaign. Did you know about the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels? No, no. Now, seven years on, the DA is looking at whether Trump may have falsified business records when reimbursing Cohen for the payment. This case is not going to be predicated on any one individual, but rather it's going to be predicated on the documents, the evidence, the text messages, the emails. Cohen has made countless public statements about the investigation. The DA's team are spectacular. They are well-versed. They are well-informed. And we just will continue to cooperate each and every time that they ask. My goal is to allow um, Alvin Bragg and his team to do what they need to do. At the end, the grand jurors have an opportunity just to ask me some questions as well. And I'm looking forward to that. While he usually says he cannot talk about what happens in the grand jury room, he has been advised to stop talking about the case on TV after drawing the ire of prosecutors for appearing on TV Monday night to rebut Costello's testimony. If, in fact, that I waived attorney-client privilege, I'd like to know when, how, where. I don't recall waiving anything, but did again, you, this is, this is I, don't know, I don't know what he's talking about. Here in Manhattan, prosecutors are facing a deadline. The statute of limitations expires for this case in May. So it's clearly now or never for the district attorney. Jake. All right, Paula Reed in Manhattan, thanks so much. Let's bring in CNN's Shimon Prokopes. Shimon, what kinds of conversations are about security are happening behind the scenes as law enforcement prepares for whatever reaction happens for whatever charges happen? Right. Yeah, so the reaction certainly from his supporters uh, is something that law enforcement is of course, concerned about. But the other thing that they're really worried about here, certainly for the Secret Service, is how to get the former president into the courthouse, through New York City safely, uh, because there is also a lot of concern for his safety. So that is something that is really going on uh, in discussions behind the scene between the Secret Service, the NYPD, the FBI is involved for any intelligence purposes, and other law enforcement officials from all across this state. Uh, that are involved in these conversations, because once they get word that, in fact, he has been indicted, uh, there's going to have to be a court court appearance by the former president, and it's going to be in Manhattan. Uh, Right now, Jake, and this is important, that there's no indication that any of this is supposed to take place this week. All the conversations right now are talking about next week, sometime next week, that if he was to be indicted, that is when we would see the former president appearing in court. And that's when we'll see more security, certainly the Secret Service taking a lead on making sure that the former president entering that courtroom and leaving that courtroom will happen safely. Yeah. Shimon Prokopas, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Joining us now to discuss conservative attorney uh, George Conway. Uh, George, uh, Trump could be the first former president in American history to be arrested. Do you think this case, what we know of it, involving Stormy Daniels and the falsification of business records, 
Do you think it really rises to the magnitude of such an unprecedented step? Uh, I, you know, this wouldn't be the first case I would bring against them if I were if I were the director of a movie trying to figure out how to how to properly organize this. But the fact of the matter is, it's a real case. And, and the thing to remember about it, and particularly when you hear the gaslighting commentary of of Speaker McCarthy, of former Speaker, no, former Speaker McCarthy, he, he this case was originally a federal case brought against Michael Cohen for campaign finance violations, failure to report basically a straw donor, uh, the reimbursement. Um, This was a case brought by the Trump Justice Department. The Southern District of New York brought this case and told the sentencing judge, again, the Trump administration told the sentencing judge for Michael Cohen that what the Cohen's crimes were committed at the behest of and at the direction for and for the benefit for Donald Trump. And so these are serious. This is serious. These are serious offenses. The the thing about Trump is he's committed so many others that it kind of looks less serious than, say, trying to, you know, overturn the election and trying to overturn the Constitution and so on and so forth. So that that's the only reason why this this case has any flaws. It was that it should have been brought as a federal case uh, at noon on January 20th. 2021. So that's interesting. So you think anyone protesting this case, theoretically, in order to be intellectually consistent, if they weren't protesting the prosecution of Michael Cohen uh, by, I believe it was uh, then U.S. Attorney Michael Berman, is that right? Who, who Donald Trump had appointed. If they didn't yeah, protest... Jeffrey Berman, yeah. Jeffrey Berman, I'm sorry. Yeah. If they didn't protest that, then they shouldn't be protesting this. It's com- entirely inconsistent intellectually. Well, it, it's consistent to say that this was a this was a political prosecution. I mean, this you know these are real potential campaign finance violations when you're doing something. And and let, let's let's not you know they say oh it was because he was afraid of Melania. This happened days before a presidential election, and that was frankly Stormy's leverage. That was Stormy and her lawyer had leverage over Trump because of the possibility of a last minute disclosure. And the reason why the money was paid was to keep her quiet before the election. It was a contribution. It was it was something that, that Michael Cohen put to put up his own money, borrowed from his home equity loan, and then he was reimbursed. And both the making of that illegal contribution and the the the, the bookkeeping in in the reimbursement are, were illegal. And the only question I think in New York law under New York law is going to be whether it's a misdemeanor or a felony. You tweeted that Donald Trump's best defense would be to plead insanity. Was were you just being cheeky or do you mean that? I was being a little bit cheeky. Um, I, you know, an insanity defense is actually pretty hard under under, uh, under most jurisdictions law. You have to show uh, that a person is incapable of determining right from wrong, and in, in order and in, in acting on that basis. And Trump, you know, he always almost always does the wrong thing, but he knows the difference between right and wrong. And the reason why he knows the difference between right and wrong is always denying things when people say he did something wrong. And he's always accusing people of doing something that the things that he did. Yeah. So he knows what the difference between right and wrong is. And so an insanity defense really wouldn't work. That said, he is clearly decompensating in some sense that if you look at the social media tweets that he has put out over the last few days, I mean, this is not, this is not a man who, um, 
he's not a man in full command of his faculties. I want to get your reaction uh, to one of the many claims we're hearing from Republican congressmen. This one from uh, Kelly Armstrong of North Dakota earlier today. Everybody's going to have their own their own opinion on these things. But I can tell you from my experience, if the defendant wasn't Donald Trump, this wouldn't be brought by a D.A. Uh, that that's just the truth. Now, I keep hearing that and that yet I remember I don't know if, how similar a case it is, but I remember the, the prosecution of former Senator John Edwards. Um, and that was during the Obama administration. And that was for not exactly the same thing, but it was about uh, fundraisers and donations and uh, a girlfriend, an extramarital yeah, but, girlfriend. It, 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 were they similar? Right. They found that they found a rich woman, a rich old lady to give money to um, Edward's baby mama, in essence, to keep, keep her out of sight and keep her out of, you know, to, to help the campaign. And I think the problem in that case wasn't a legal problem. It was just that I think by the time of trial, the woman who gave the money was was really not in a position to testify because of her uh, physical condition. But that said, it's a, it's a perfectly it's a valid legal theory. It was a valid federal legal theory. It should have been brought. The, the fact of the matter is this case isn't being brought because he's Donald Trump. This case wasn't brought by the U.S. government during Trump's administration when Trump's administration was investigating it and told federal courts that this was a crime, it, he was not prosecuted because he was president. So it's actually the exact opposite of what this congressman is saying. Interesting. George Conway, thanks so much. Enjoy the, the slopes behind you. I'm jealous. Today, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, called the hush money investigation an opportunity to unite the country. Hear why next. And why the latest banking troubles are nothing like the 2008 financial crisis, according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Let's hope, let's hope she's right. Also, how long the nation's second largest school district may stay shut down as thousands of workers go on strike. What do they want? That's coming up. And we are back with our politics lead. House Republicans are using their newfound power to try to downplay the potential criminal charges against Donald Trump, despite... None of us having seen any of the evidence nor know what the potential charges are. CNN's Manu Raja just returned from the House Republican retreat in Orlando, Florida, and joins us now live from Capitol Hill. And Manu, you caught up with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and you asked him about these possible charges. What did he have to say? Yeah, he really downplayed these possible charges. I asked him directly, do you have any concerns that former President Trump may have falsified his business records to hide hush money payments to an adult film actress whom he allegedly was having an extramarital affair? He didn't say he was concerned. In fact, he said that it's Donald Trump's personal money. He went on to argue that perhaps this falls outside the statute of limitations. There's some questions about that. And he also contended that Trump did not try to hide these payments even though there's evidence to the contrary. Now, McCarthy has all along also defended the investigations that his committees have already launched into the New York district attorney, even as they don't know what these charges are, they don't have a sense of what the evidence is, still demanding him to come to Capitol Hill and saying that McCarthy telling me they just have simple questions they want to ask the district attorney. And he argued that Democrats, in his view, are treated differently by prosecutors than Republicans. I do get concerned when I look out there and I see justice not being equal to others, especially in a history of where we are. And the tough part is with, with a local DA playing in presidential politics, 
If that starts right there, don't you think it'll happen across the country? I think it's a place that the country can unite. They want equal justice. They just think it's wrong. So McCarthy would not weigh in further when I asked him, have, is he aware of the charges? Have he seen these charges? Of course, he has not yet seen all of the evidence yet. Neither have the top Republicans who are running this investigation into uh, the uh, efforts by Alvin Bragg, the New York prosecutor, who is potentially going to bring charges against the former president, Jim Jordan, who is one of the three key chairmen who has asked Bragg to come testify, asked for records uh, himself, telling me that he doesn't know the full scope of this, simply was relying on press reports, but still Jordan and like others believe that Donald Trump did not break the law despite not having the full scope of evidence here. But uh, that is the way how the Republicans are coming down on this. Jake McCarthy indicating he has not yet spoken to Donald Trump about this. He hasn't spoken to him in a few weeks. But at least Stefanik, one of the members of his leadership team, indicated she did speak with him yesterday and also talked to him, Trump, about the steps House Republicans are taking to defend him. Jake. All right, Manu Raja on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. The hush money case, of course, is not the only legal specter haunting Donald Trump right now. Others include the Justice Department special counsel investigation of both Trump's involvement in January 6th and his alleged mishandling of classified documents. Plus, there's also the Fulton County Georgia grand jury probe into Trump and his allies' efforts to overturn the 2020 election in that state. CNN's Caitlin Palance is with us now. And Caitlin, have we seen any significant movement in these other cases involving Donald Trump? Yeah, well, Jake, what we're hearing uh, from our sources is that is that there is a lot bubbling under the surface in all of these criminal investigations, not just New York. In Georgia, the prosecutors there, they are still at work. They reached out to someone in recent weeks that was a lawyer to Donald Trump, wanting to talk with her voluntarily. They also are looking at potentially complicated multi-defendant cases. Uh, We just reported yesterday that there's the possibility they want to look at a racketeering charge related to what happened after the election and Donald Trump in 2020. And they're not going to be pushing that forward just because New York uh, is ready to potentially bring a charge against the former president. So that's Georgia. In the federal cases, I just got off the phone with some sources who were telling me that these are very active investigations. We might not be seeing uh, necessarily charges at this time, but there are lots of people that investigators still want to talk with, both on the January 6th side and on the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And we know that there are many court fights under seal related to, uh, including the former defense lawyer uh, for Donald Trump and the former vice president. But the criminal investigations are not the only thing that's going on with Donald Trump, right? Aren't there other courtroom activities? Yes, lawsuits, many, many lawsuits. Specifically, Trump is opposite E. Jean Carroll, the columnist in a lawsuit, uh, two lawsuits that are going to be going to trial. Uh, there's a lot of litigation still around January 6th. Who's liable for that attack of the Capitol? Not just rioters, but there are cases against Trump himself. And then even this morning, I was just in court uh, this morning in federal court in Washington, Rudy Giuliani was appearing before a judge uh, because he is being pushed in a defamation case brought by Georgia election workers. Uh, He's being pushed to provide information to them. Has he scoured all of his phones? Has he answered all of the questions under oath that he needs to there? So there's just a lot of different entities that are pushing for answers from Trump and the other people around him. All right, Caitlin Palance, thanks so much. Let's discuss all of this with CNN political commentator and former Trump White House communications director Alyssa Fair. Sarah Griffin, and former Congressman Mick Mulvaney, who's also former acting White House Chief of Staff for Donald Trump. Alyssa, let me start with you. What do you think is going on in Donald Trump's mind right now as the, as the walls appear to be closing in on him in this hush money investigation? 
From what I've been hearing, he's obviously very anxious about the potential of uh, pending indictment and any subsequent arrests that could come with that. But I'm also hearing from people around him, he feels a bit emboldened by this. I think there's a lot of Republicans like myself who want to see Trump held accountable for egregious things he had a, had a role in, whether it's the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation, January 6th. But there's some concerns that this DA investigation is seven years old. It's not necessarily, we don't know the details, but necessarily a rock-solid case. And I think he sees this as an opportunity to get Republicans to rally around him and say, this is a witch hunt. This is, you know, a liberal judge wanting to undo the 2016 election results. So I think he sees a lane of opportunity, um, even seeing people like Nikki Haley, a declared candidate running against him, coming out and defending him. So while he's anxious about what is going to happen in the coming days, he sees this as an opening. And uh, former Congressman Mulvaney, today uh, Trump came out with a new campaign promise. His, his presidential campaign for 2024 continues untrammeled. He pledged to reissue an executive order that could make it easier to overhaul the federal government by firing anyone he deems corrupt. Uh, he's leaning heavily into this deep state conspiracy, deep state conspiracy theory, uh, the idea that there's a whole bunch of people in the government working <laughs> against him. Um, I would suspect that you think that what's going on in New York kind of feeds into that in a way. Um, it does in a roundabout sort of way. I also think they could easily be separate. I, I'm one of the folks who thinks the president, any president, should have the right to hire and fire a lot more people in the executive branch, but that's not really the discussion here today. I think Trump does see this. I think Alyssa's right. I think it's, we're actually in one of those rare circumstances where the extreme left and the extreme right of this country want the same thing, which is for Donald Trump to get arrested. He sees this as a way to sort of build some sympathy because it is easy, much easier to make this case out to be a political witch hunt than it does say something for January 6th of the interference in the 2020 election. So in a strange sort of way, I think that tweet on Tuesday was sort of telling people that he wants to be arrested because he wants this to be one of the battlegrounds as opposed to one of those other charges he's facing. Yeah, I mean, we heard George Conway say earlier in the show that if he were directing this as a movie, this is not the first case he would bring. Um, Alyssa, Trump's allies did not think that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was supportive enough of Trump's fight against the Manhattan District Attorney. And Trump uh, wrote on Truth Social, quote, Ron DeSanctimonious will probably find out about false accusations and fake stories sometime in the future as he gets older, wiser, and better known. When he's unfairly and illegally attacked by a woman, even classmates that are underage or possibly a man, he's, he's uh, pushed uh, some conspiracy theories about DeSantis that he's alluding to there. Uh, that sounded vaguely like a threat to me. What, what did you think? Yeah, it sounds like he's got some things in the oppo book that he wants to drop on DeSantis. But listen, this is what makes battling with Trump so difficult for people who oppose him is he doesn't go low. He goes to the Earth's crust like he goes to an area that people don't even talk about in polite company. Um, I thought DeSantis honestly actually had a very good line to say something along the lines of I don't have experience with giving hush money to porn stars <laughs> to kind of just highlight the absurdity of this moment that we've been in for seven years with Donald Trump. But Anyone who's going to take him on is going to have to be able to deal with the with the smears that come with going after Donald Trump, with him going the lowest of the low. And we have yet to see who's ready to deal with that. What did you think, uh, Congressman Mulvaney, about about how DeSantis handled this? He went after the prosecutor. He said he wasn't going to help the prosecutor. But then he said at least twice the phrase uh, the phrase is hush money. The clause is hush money and porn star. Sure. I think Ron's doing a really nice job of sort of distancing himself from Trump personally while he's still sort of running on the same policies. Ron's pretty good at this. I mean, you don't get to be Florida governor and win by, I think, 
20 points last time without knowing something about what you're doing. Uh, I'll disagree with Alyssa on one thing. I, I doubt very seriously that Trump has done opposition research or really has some stuff. I think that's the type of, I guess it's called the truth. I don't, I don't truth social. That <laughs> it sort of doesn't have any basis. He just sort of, he'll make that up in order to try and, and, and draw attention away from other stuff. So I think DeSantis is doing a fine job. I also think that the other folks who have backed the president are probably doing a fine job as well. It's a real strange situation where you might be running against somebody, but then having to back him like Nikki Haley did. But uh, look, DeSantis in a, is in a tough position. Uh, imagine the indictment comes down and, dis, and Trump doesn't want to go to New York. What is Ron DeSantis as the governor of Florida going to do with a, an effectively a fugitive in his state? So yeah. it could get really interesting really quick. Well, I think he has said, I, I think he, he said he's not going to help the prosecutor. I think that that was what he was suggesting uh, there, Ron DeSantis. So I guess he's not going to be sending the the, the Florida National Guard to, to uh, perp walk the, the president. Alyssa, Trump's allies have been using the new House majority to demand uh, that Manhattan District Attorney Al- Alvin Bragg testifies, um, looking to stop his investigation. Uh, what do you think of that? I mean, is that also politicizing uh, the justice system? I mean, yes. I, I don't think this is a slam dunk case, but I also think, you know, if the last midterm showed us anything, it's that voters want Congress to be forward looking. And the over, the role of oversight is to oversee the Fed, the executive branch, branch, of course. That's something that's a valid role. But this is really weeding into state politics. It's not really um, in any way what the oversight committee would be tasked with. I think, once again, Republicans are much better to be focused on actually what they said that they were going to run on. Alyssa Farah Griffin, Mick Mulvaney, thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. Coming up, the surveillance video released today after prosecutors said a Virginia man in custody was smothered to death. Stay with us. International lead, the second largest school district in the country, is shut down right now. Teachers there have joined support staff who are on strike, including custodians, bus drivers, cafeteria workers in Los Angeles. The group says for the next three days, they will be off the job. They're demanding better working conditions and a raise. The strike means more than half a million students in Los Angeles are currently not in class. CNN's Nick Watt is in L.A. for us, of course. Nick, how much money uh, are those striking asking for, and what does the school district offer? Well, Jake, the strikers say that their main issue is respect and working conditions, but of course there is money involved. The union wants a 30% raise for these workers, custodians, bus drivers, etc. Right now the school district is at 23%, so 30 23 still a gap, and apparently they are not talking right now. Now, the union says... Listen, the average wage for our workers here in L.A. is $25,000 a year. That puts them below poverty. We need more money for our people. You mentioned that there are a number of groups. So the people wearing purple, that is the union that represents these workers, the bus drivers, etc. And the red, they are the teachers union. The teacher, this isn't really their fight, but they are out here in solidarity. They say that their fight is the teacher's fight, and they are here demanding better conditions. That right there is the district headquarters. The superintendent said he stayed in there all night, waiting for the union to come back to the table. And now, today, since 4.30 this morning, these people have been at bus depots, schools, and now outside the headquarters of the district, demanding more money and demanding respect. Jake? Is the school district helping families find childcare and meals for all these students who who have nowhere to go? Yeah. 
Yeah, they are. Listen, more than half a million kids in this district, and many of them rely on schools, not just for their education, but for food. So the school district, the county, the city, they are handing out box lunches. They've also set aside some schools with staff by volunteers and others where kids can go for adult supervision. Now, where this ends, well, the superintendent said the district has got a pretty good offer on the table for the union. He's waiting for them to come back. Parents, of course, impacted by this. Many of the parents we spoke to are really sympathetic with these protesters, with these strikers. But they say, you know, a couple of days, two, three days, we can manage. If it stretches beyond that, it's going to become a big problem for a lot of parents here in L.A. as well. Jake. All right, Nick Watt in Los Angeles. Thanks so much. Today, a Virginia grand jury formally indicted seven officers and three hospital employees charged with second-degree murder in the death of Ivo Otieno. This comes as a Virginia prosecutor released new surveillance video capturing the final moments of the 28-year-old's life, which shows sheriff's deputies and medical staff piling on Otieno and appearing to smother him. CNN's Brian Todd brings us now the latest from Dinwiddie, Virginia, a warning you might find this video disturbing. Handcuffed and leg shackled, Ivo Otieno is brought into the intake area of Virginia's Central State Hospital with some difficulty. Within minutes, he is on the floor. For the next 12 or 13 minutes, he will be held down by deputies and staffers, sometimes with a deputy on top of him. At points, his position changes, or the officers reposition their grip. There is no audio, and for much of the video, Otieno is not in full view. At least once, a deputy seems to use his knee to restrain him. Later, he is turned on his side. A person appears to administer an injection, and then CPR. It is not clear exactly when he died or his official cause of death. Today, seven deputies were indicted by a grand jury for second-degree murder, as were three hospital staffers. The victim in this case was, was not fighting back or anything. There was, there was no legitimate purpose for holding him down on the ground. 911 calls show how a hospital staffer described the incident. Well, he used to be aggressive, right? So they're trying to put him in restraint. Then eventually he didn't, he's no longer breathing. They're doing a CPR right now, and uh, he's just, there's sorry. no pulse anymore. Also just released jail video that the prosecutor says shows Otieno before he was transported to the mental facility. It shows commotion around the slot in the door of his cell. The prosecutor alleges Otieno is handcuffed. Yet even so, she says, pepper spray is sprayed through the door slot. He was pepper sprayed while he was in the cell alone, um, not posing a danger to anyone. Six officers then enter the cell, and the prosecutor alleges blows are delivered. Nearly 15 minutes later, he is carried out in handcuffs, and deputies load him into an SUV to drive him to the mental facility. An attorney for one charged deputy says the cause of death could have been something else, like the injection, and says Otieno was violent, aggressive, and noncompliant. The officers who were there had to, go, had to hold him and constrain him, given not only his resistance previously, but um, out of concern for others around, given his mental state. But Otieno's mother says that's not what the video shows. My son was treated like a dog, worse than a dog. I saw it with my own eyes on the video. 
Only a couple of the attorneys for the deputies and security guards charged have come out and spoken about the charges, specifically denying that their clients committed wrongdoing. One attorney who represents Deputy Randy Boyer came out today and said it was the employees of Central State Hospital who were supposed to handle the intake and the restraint for Ivo Otieno that day, and they failed. We have reached out to Central State Hospital for response to that. We have not heard back. Jake? Brian Todd in Dinwiddie, Virginia, thank you so much. Coming up next, the consequential decision coming tomorrow that could impact every single American and speak volumes about the state of the U.S. economy. Stay with us. In our money lead, members of the Federal Reserve began meeting today, and their pending decision on raising interest rates is due tomorrow. CNN's Matt Egan is in town for the Fed's meeting. He joins us. What was uh, once a foregone conclusion about another increase now appears up in the air because of the crisis involving bank failures. That's right, Jake. Uh, you know, the Fed finds itself in kind of a no-win situation here. I mean, they do nothing. It looks like they're scared of the banking crisis and they're accepting high inflation. But if they keep raising rates, they could actually make the pressure in the banking system even worse. So this is a very difficult position for them. Um, and there's been a lot of debate about what they're going to do. I mean, former FDIC chair Sheila Baer, she wants them to kind of do nothing, hold steady, look at the damage before keep going raising interest rates. Goldman Sachs predicts that's actually what they're going to do, keep rent steady. But over on Wall Street, investors are starting to coalesce around the idea that they're going to raise interest rates. At last look, there's now an 87% chance priced into the market that the Fed raises rates tomorrow by a quarter of a basis point. That figure has been growing all day and all week. For everyone at home, that means higher borrowing costs, right? Mortgages, credit cards, car loans. It would also be a way for the Fed to show that when it comes to fighting inflation, they really mean business. Yeah, but whatever they do, those nervous Nellies on Wall Street, it could freak them out either way. On a related uh, matter, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen today uh, tried to, again, reassure everyone that everything's fine with the banking system. Yeah, Yellen is trying her best to kind of talk the banking industry out of this crisis, really emphasizing that this is more of a confidence problem than a solvency one. And um, she said that, listen, you know, officials in Washington, they're willing to rescue uninsured depositors if that's what it takes. Listen to what she said. By saying that our banking system is sound, even as it's come under some pressure, as I indicated, this is different than 2008. 2008 was a solvency crisis. Rather, what we're seeing are contagious bank runs. The situation is stabilizing, and the U.S. banking system remains sound. So regional bank stocks, they did race back to life today. More importantly than the share prices, U.S. officials are watching the deposit flows, and they are encouraged that these outflows from the small and mid-sized banks, that has stabilized. And if that continues, that'll lower the risk of other banks collapsing. So what does all of this mean for just like normal, regular Americans out there, people with credit cards, people trying to get a mortgage? Well, you know, Jake, it's really not about whether your money is safe in the bank. We know it's safe up to $250,000 per borrower per bank. That's what the FDIC insures. I think the real risk here is a credit crunch, right? Because the more nervous bankers are, the less credit they're going to give people. It's going to be more expensive to get a mortgage, to carry a credit card balance, to finance a car loan. And the longer this banking crisis lasts, the greater the risk that it slows the economy, maybe even so much that it causes a recession. All right, Matt Egan, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Coming up next, a Colorado dentist under arrest, accused of poisoning his wife, with arsenic, the peculiar internet searches in the weeks leading up to her death. 
That's next. A shocking story out of Colorado with the arrest of a dentist accused of poisoning his wife. James Tolliver Craig is behind bars after his wife and the mother of six died after being hospitalized for severe headaches and dizziness. CNN's Whitney Wilde has the latest on this disturbing case. 43-year-old Angela Craig, a mother of six, was hospitalized for the third time in a month last week after complaining of a severe headache and dizziness. She was put on a ventilator, rapidly declined, and was declared brain dead soon after. My name is Dr. Jim Craig, and I practice at Summerbrook Dental Group. Now police say her husband, a Colorado dentist, killed her by poisoning her with toxic chemicals he bought online. Police in Aurora, Colorado, say 45-year-old James Tolliver Craig showed intent to end his wife's life by searching for ways to kill someone undetected by giving her poisons that align with her hospitalized symptoms. Investigators say Craig bought arsenic as well as potassium cyanide. Police laid out a chilling timeline that began March 4th when arsenic was delivered to the Craig's home. Two days later, Angela headed to the hospital complaining of dizziness and difficulty focusing her eyes, symptoms consistent with arsenic poisoning, according to the police affidavit. Angela texted her husband that day saying, I feel drugged. Her husband, James, texted back, just for the record, I didn't drug you. Investigators say Craig used a computer at his dental practice to research poisons. Police say his search history showed phrases such as, how many grams of pure arsenic will kill a human, and top five undetectable poisons that show no signs of foul play. Police say around the time Angela was hospitalized again from March 9th to March 14th, James Craig ordered potassium cyanide online. The highly lethal drug was delivered to his dental practice. So concerned, a staff reported what they found. Charges are set to be filed formally Thursday while the case has rocked their community. Just makes me Didn't sick. Didn't seem real. Didn't yeah. seem like something that he could ever do to her. An absolutely shocking case, Jake. We have reached out to Craig's attorney, but we have not yet heard back. Jake? All right, Winnie Wilde, thank you so much for that report. Today, the U.S. accelerated its plans to deploy Patriot missiles to Ukraine. The activity happening at an Army post in Oklahoma that helped lead to that decision. We're going to go there live next. Stay with us. Welcome to the lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, a warning about the combination making the deadliest drugs in the U.S. even deadlier, the animal tranquilizer xylazine that melts people's skin and is now being mixed with fentanyl. Then, watching and waiting, security is beefed up in New York City and Washington, D.C., as the world waits to see if Donald Trump will be indicted today, as he claimed he would. And leading this hour, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese leader Xi Jinping toasting each other today in Moscow, though the rest of the world is not raising a glass. Putin and Xi attended a state dinner, capping off two days of talks where they vowed more collaboration in oil production and giving the Chinese government an opportunity to further prop up Russia's sanctioned suffering economy. Vladimir Putin also said China proposed a plan that could be used for a, quote, peaceful settlement in Ukraine, unquote, but it will only be considered when the West, i.e. the United States and NATO countries, and Kyiv are ready for it. We've got a team of reporters covering the meeting around the world from Ukraine to the United States. Uh, but we're going to start with CNN's Selena Wang, who's in Beijing, where Chinese state media is in a frenzy to push positive propaganda about this China-Russia partnership. 
Russia's Vladimir Putin rolling out the red carpet for his, quote, dear friend, Chinese leader Xi Jinping, greeting each other for their second day of meetings in Moscow. Despite skepticism from the West that the visit is more about supporting Russia and furthering Beijing's own self-interests, Putin and Xi signing an economic deal, deepening their partnership, and calling for an end to actions that increase tensions in the prolonged war in Ukraine. Of course, we did not ignore the situation around Ukraine. We believe that many of the points on the peace plan put forward by China are consistent with Russian approaches and can be taken as the basis of a peaceful settlement when the West and Kyiv are ready for it. But this readiness is not observed on their side. Since the war began, Russia has become far more dependent on China. China has been propping up Russia's economy amid Western sanctions by purchasing its energy, replacing Western suppliers in electronics, cars and aircraft, and providing an alternative to the U.S. dollar. She is inviting Putin to China this year and told Putin they share similar goals. Putin says Russia has closely studied Beijing's peace proposal for Ukraine, a plan that Washington says would solidify Russia's grip on occupied land. China would not want to see Putin fail. It would set a terrible example for the Chinese system. China and Russia have a complicated history, but their shared adversarial relationship with Washington is driving them closer. This is a marriage of convenience, not of affection. In Russia, there's some cynicism about Beijing's motives. On a Russian state TV talk show, this military pundit said, China can have only one ally, China itself. China can only have one set of interests, pro-Chinese ones. Chinese foreign policy is utterly devoid of altruism. But Chinese state media is in overdrive, touting the benefits of the Russia-China relationship. And it's all positive comments on China's heavily censored social media. This one says, cooperation and win-win. The next one says, long live China-Russia friendship. Disagreements, if any, are censored. By meeting with Putin, Xi wants to highlight his role as a global statesman that can offer an alternative to the current world order. But Jake, the real tangible outcome of this meeting is Beijing strengthening ties with Russia in ways that benefits itself. These economic agreements they've signed, it's likely going to increase Russia's reliance on China. Now, China's policy is a bit contradictory, but it really boils down to supporting Putin while publicly declaring neutrality, but also paying no price. That's why the experts I speak to say it's unlikely that China would provide the kind of lethal aid to Russia that would trigger secondary sanctions. Jake. Mm. All right, Selena Wang in Beijing, thanks so much. Meanwhile, Japan's Prime Minister, Fumio Kashida, made a surprise trip to Ukraine, where he met with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky and visited Busha, the Kyiv suburb synonymous with Russia's atrocities against the Ukrainian people. Kashida's trip marks the first time a Japanese prime minister has visited an area with ongoing fighting since World War II. CNN's Ivan Watson is live for us in the northeastern city of Kharkiv. And, and Ivan, the timing of this visit seems pretty, pretty important. It does, and it does not seem like it's a, it's a coincidence that you had the leader of China visiting Moscow 
And then uh, the same day, uh, the Japanese prime minister visiting uh, Russia's enemy, the capital, Ukraine, uh, Kishida laying flowers in Bucha where uh, there were uh, discoveries of mass graves, of people executed with their hands tied behind their backs after the Russian troops withdrew from that town on the outskirts of Kiev. Uh, Japan signaling its commitment to Ukraine. Last month, it pledged some $5.5 billion in assistance uh, to the Ukrainian government and has said that uh, it speaks out strongly against Russia's, as it puts it, aggression into Ukraine. Uh, in the meantime, the Ukrainians still watching this meeting in Moscow closely. Uh, the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has come out with statements about uh, the uh, suggestion of a ceasefire made by Putin and Xi today, saying that, that that nobody would be satisfied with that right now, uh, going on to say that uh, that would simply freeze the conflict and allow Russia to regroup and attack again sometime in the future. He says Ukraine has its own peace formula, and that probably involves Russian troops withdrawing from Ukrainian territory, and he wants to share that directly with the Chinese leader. We don't know when these two leaders will talk. And Ivan, um, Ukraine and Russia are disputing the details of an attack in the Crimean town of Jankoy. Uh, that's where a train carrying Russian caliber cruise missiles was destroyed. What are Ukrainian officials saying about this attack? Right. I mean, we have seen amateur video of some huge explosion last night. The Ukrainians claim that they hit uh, a shipment of these caliber uh, cruise missiles we do not have independent confirmation of that. The Russians say, hey, our air defenses shot down some kind of an attack. Somebody was injured. They haven't said anything more about whether or not these missiles were hit. In the meantime, tonight, within the last couple of hours, we've heard about missile strikes on the southern Ukrainian port city of Odessa. The Ukrainians say that they shot down two of these uh, KH-59 missiles that were launched by uh, Russian warplanes, but two more got through the air defenses and have injured people. We're still waiting to find out more about the extent of that damage. All right, Ivan Watson in Kharkiv, Ukraine for us. Thank you so much. Now in the United States, U.S. defense officials say Patriot missile defense systems and Abrams tanks will be in Ukraine sooner than originally planned. CNN's Natasha Bertrand is at the Fort Sill Army Base in Oklahoma. That's the only place in the U.S. currently training Ukrainian soldiers. And, And Natasha, what's behind this accelerated timeline for these powerful Patriots? Yeah, Jake. So essentially, the Ukrainians have just proven extremely good at learning this Patriot defense system. According to defense officials who we spoke to here all day, the Ukrainians were able to learn the system on an expedited timeline in a way that the U.S. did not necessarily anticipate. So for that reason, because they have been able to take full advantage of this 10-week training course here at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, the U.S. now believes that it is prepared to actually deploy a Patriot system to Ukraine in the coming weeks. Now, that is much sooner than we had anticipated. But again, it is because the Ukrainians, the 65 Ukrainian soldiers who have been training here at Fort Sill for the last 9, 10 weeks have proven very capable because they are among the most experienced soldiers in in Ukraine with regard to air defense systems. They are highly educated. Many of them are engineers. And they have proven very uh, capable of grasping the complex system, according to defense officials. And so they will be sending them back to Ukraine very confident that not only will 
they be able to operate this this complicated air defense system to help protect against the Russian missile barrages that have really uh, become a day-to-day occurrence in Ukraine, but also that the Ukrainian soldiers will be able to train other Ukrainians on this very complex system, Jake. All right, Natasha Bertrand in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, thanks so much. Let's bring in retired Lieutenant General and CNN military analyst Mark Hurtling. Uh, General, good to see you. Clearly, U.S. military officials think Ukrainian troops are ready, based on Natasha's reporting. Um, Looking at the current battlefield, where would the Abrams tanks and Patriot missile systems be served best? Well, I'm going to talk the Patriots first, Jake, because Natasha's uh, reporting on this issue shows two things. First of all, the Ukrainians were smart enough to pull their very best air defense soldiers out of units that send them back to Fort Sill to be trained. And this is the second part by a group of U.S. soldiers from the 3rd of the 6th Air Defense Artillery Battalion. That's, those are the folks that normally train U.S. soldiers. What's made the difference is they have adapted that training because they're training folks who already understand air defense. Now, to get to your question, where is this going to be deployed? You know, you're talking, what you're seeing on the screen right now is the launch from one Patriot launcher. There will be only two of those given by the United States as part of that battery. So it's a point defense system. It's got to be placed in a location uh, that is defending a target like uh, a capital city, Kiev, or a port city like Odessa. So this is not a weapon system that can be moved around on the battlefield based on changing threats. It has to be placed somewhere to defend it. So where it would go, I don't know. I would suspect uh, where the, 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 the most important targets are, probably some of the cities that have been struck or some of the uh, infrastructure facilities that have been struck by the Russians that Ukraine wants to protect. Uh, in terms of the tanks, your, the second part of your question, what has happened in the Defense Department is they have said, hey, we are not going to send brand new, very best M1A2 tanks. Now, the difference between an M1A2 to an M1A1 which is now what we are going to send, is probably meaningless to most people listening to your show right now. But it's a huge difference. One is a very older tank. Uh, it was started to be built in the 1980s. The M1A2 is an upgraded tank with multiple new systems that is much more effective on the battlefield. And it's still going to take a while to get there, uh, just like some of, some of the Bradleys that were announced in January will soon be seeing the battlefield. Um, where will, it, uh, uh, where will they be sent eventually, probably in the fall? The place where Ukraine has broken through with their offenses. Uh, and and I, I believe some of those offensive operations will start probably within the next couple of weeks using uh, the Bradley mm-hmm. and Stryker vehicles, some of the other vehicles that have been given from Europe, and that will be in a place that the Ukrainian commanders say, this is where we can make the most difference in terms of attacking Russia. And General, we only have about a minute left, but I want to get your, your assessment of the big picture, seemingly a seismic geopolitical shift here with China attempting to flex its diplomatic muscle in Russia. Meanwhile, it appears Japan is responding by going to Ukraine, the prime minister going to Ukraine. The New York Times' David Sanger says the, quote, division of the world is reforming. Do you agree? I certainly do. You know, Chi is the new senior strategic partner in the Russia-China relationship, wants two things out of this visit. He wants to deepen support, trade, and cooperation with Russia. That's very hard to do, and he wants to do that in the shadows. And at the same time, in a more public-facing way, he wants China to be perceived 
especially in Europe, as a peace broker. It's going to be hard for him to do both of those things. Uh, the very nature, as Ivan reported, that Japan was in Ukraine at the same time she was in Russia says everything. Uh, they are working against each other. Tensions are going to remain between China and the rest of the world. They are going to find it hard to do both of the things in their strategic kit bag that they want to accomplish. It's going to be very hard. And, and the other thing, the China 12-point plan for peace starts off with, number one, respect the sovereignty of all countries and international law. Russia has not done that. It's right. very difficult to get that word to uh, Mr. Putin. Yeah. General Mark Hurdling, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Coming up, the specific question the judge asked in that more than a billion dollar lawsuit against Fox brought by Dominion Voting Systems, plus the new warnings of a drug-resistant fungus spreading at an alarming rate throughout hospitals and medical facilities in the U.S. Returning to our politics lead, lawyers for Dominion Voting Systems and the right-wing channel Fox that they're suing are back in court today, wrangling over Dominion's $1.6 billion, billion with a B, dollar defamation lawsuit. Dominion claims that Fox personalities and executives, quote, recklessly disregarded the truth and knowingly promoted false claims about the company's voting machines, rigging the 2020 presidential election, which, of course, they did not. As CNN's Jessica Schneider reports for us, now this comes as a Fox producer just filed separate lawsuits claiming, among other things, that, that she was forced, coerced into giving false and misleading testimony in this case. Fraud is something that is real, that just took place two weeks ago. The on-air words of Tucker Carlson and other Fox News hosts at the center of a $1.6 billion defamation case brought by Dominion Voting Systems. Lawyers for the voting machine and software maker telling a Delaware judge today the fix was in, arguing that Fox producers and hosts knew the claims that Dominion rigged the 2020 election were false. Even when they continually booked guests like Sidney Powell, who perpetuated the falsehoods. The Dominion voting systems, the Smartmatic technology software, and the software that goes in other computerized voting systems here as well, not just Dominion, were created in Venezuela at the direction of Hugo Chavez to make sure he never lost an election after one constitutional referendum came out the way he did not want it to come out. Fox News maintains it is proud of its 2020 election coverage and that it is fully protected by the First Amendment, arguing it can't be held liable for airing newsworthy allegations from public figures. And there are other aspects of this fraud that at this point I really can't reveal. <laughs> this is really enough. It's enough to overturn any election. A judge will now determine whether to decide the case on the claims already presented to him or if the case will go to a jury trial next month. The decision comes as a Fox News producer is suing the network for allegedly coercing her into giving misleading testimony during a deposition for the Dominion case. Abby Grossberg's lawyer saying Fox News had its lawyers misleadingly coach, manipulate and coerce Ms. Grossberg to deliver shaded and or incomplete answers during her sworn deposition testimony. Fox News responding that attorney-client privilege prevents it from commenting on the claims. But the producer is now on administrative leave from the network. If the defamation case goes to trial, Dominion wants to put Fox Corporation Chairman Rupert Murdoch on the stand, as well as his CEO son, Lachlan. Both have already given depositions in the case, with Rupert Murdoch acknowledging Fox News hosts endorsed election conspiracy theories and then saying, 
I would have liked us to be stronger in denouncing it in hindsight. And Fox News is resisting those efforts to put Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch on the stand. Fox News is saying that it would create a hardship or undue burden for both of them. They're also saying it would create a media circus. A hearing in this case is expected to be uh, continued tomorrow. And Jake, if the judge in this case lets this uh, case go to trial, a trial would likely begin at some point next month. Jake. All right, Jessica Schneider in Wilmington, Delaware. Thanks so much. Let's get the insights of former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. Uh, Ellie, let's start with the defamation case. Uh, today's court action is, is to correct me if I'm wrong, it's just attempts by both sides to, to avoid a trial? Exactly, Jake. This is what we call summary judgment. Both sides are asking the judge, essentially, we want you to rule in our favor now before the jury trial, just based on the evidence in the record, just based on the record that's uncontested. It's hard to win summary judgment. I don't think Fox has any chance of winning summary judgment. I don't think it's likely Dominion wins on summary judgment either. I think the judge is likely to let Fox defend itself, let this go to a jury. So it's not as though, okay, let Fox defend itself. I, under, I certainly understand that. But based on what we've seen, it seems clear that Fox talent and Fox executives knew that what they were presenting to their viewers was false, and they were doing it because they were afraid of, people, of viewers abandoning them and going to, to other right-wing channels. So, it, I mean, I know they deserve a trial, and a, you know they get a defense and all that, but have you seen anything that would undermine what I just stated? So, no, I mean, I think that the evidence is quite strong in Dominion's favor here. We've seen inside Fox texts where they call the election fraud claims BS, insane, uh, you know, nuts, that kind of thing. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. But I think what Fox is going to argue in its defense is, first of all, we were reporting on the news. The problem with that is they were doing more than reporting, according to Rupert Murdoch, who said we endorsed it. So I think Fox is going to make that argument. The other argument that Fox is going to make is Dominion can't just show that we lied about the election. They have to show specifically that we defamed Dominion voting systems, the company itself. Okay. So let's talk about this other lawsuit. Um, I I have uh, read it, uh, Abby Grossberg's lawsuit. Um, I think she has probably a decent claim of a hostile work environment um, because of the rampant misogyny, she alleges. But I I don't know about this claim that she was coerced into providing misleading uh, testimony. Uh, She is an adult. What, What did you make of it? Yeah, I think the allegations in that lawsuit are a little hazy as to what it means that she was coerced. It's one thing if you are told you are to lie. You are to say you don't remember something that you do remember. You are to give false testimony. That is illegal, actually. That's over the line. But she doesn't quite allege that. But, Jake, this this witness is now a golden witness for Dominion because she has important inside information about what was happening at Fox. For example, she has an example where, in one case, Rudy Giuliani was going to be a guest and a producer at Fox texted her and said, well, there will be no fact-checking today. That's a really good fact for Dominion in its defamation case. Right, and she worked for Maria Bartiromo, who's one of the most brazen uh, election liars uh, at that entire place. Do you think this case, um, the, the Dominion case, is going to go to trial? And do you think Fox personalities and the Murdochs are going to have to testify? Yes and yes, Jake. There's really only three ways this case comes out right now. One, the judge can grant summary judgment, which I think is unlikely. Two, the case could settle. But usually cases would settle by now precisely to avoid all this kind of information coming out. And if neither of those happen, it is going to trial. And if it goes to trial, Jake, these high profile people, the Murdochs, Sean Hannity on down the line are very likely going to be witnesses because they are obviously relevant. So this could be quite a show. 
All right, Ellie Honig, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Security barriers are now in place in New York and D.C. as online chatter calls for violence if Donald Trump is indicted. What's happening behind courtroom doors and on the streets? That's next. In our politics lead, the Trump indictment watch has led to a security watch, an uptick in online violent rhetoric. Officials in New York and in D.C. are on high alert in case a potential indictment of former President Trump leads to violent protests. As of now, no credible organized threats have been detected. It's unclear if the Manhattan District Attorney will even indict Trump as part of its investigation into that hush money payment to adult film actress and director Stormy Daniels. CNN CNN's Evan Perez is with us now. And Evan, walk us through what we know about the timing of a potential indictment in this case. Well, Jake, the only thing we know is that the former president uh, sent out a social media post over the weekend indicating that he believed he was going to get arrested today. And so that is the reason why you see those barricades there in front of the uh, in front of the Capitol complex. You see uh, all these new precautions being taken, surveillance cameras and so on being taken in Manhattan uh, near the district attorney's office, near the courthouse uh, in anticipation of what could happen uh, with the district attorney. Now, we know that the grand jury is likely to come back tomorrow. That's the day they're scheduled to meet. So there could be an indictment as soon as tomorrow, uh, but everything indicates that law enforcement is, in, is, is believes, or at least is preparing, for the former president to have to turn himself over, perhaps not till next week. So the question is, when does an indictment, if an indictment comes, when does he get notified uh, about his, uh, the, the need for him to appear uh, there in Manhattan? Right now, Jake, the, the, the concern, obviously, for law enforcement is the fact that the former president had called for these protests. But as you can see, uh, some of the pictures you saw today in Manhattan, uh, the, today was the day he was said that he was expecting to be arrested, and he had about fives. Uh, of uh, protesters showing up there at one of these rallies. So it's not clear that he has the draw that he had perhaps two years ago. And, and Evan, what about the other legal cases Trump is, is facing, uh, criminal and civil? Yeah, he's got uh, a lot of different, uh, there's many courthouses right now where uh, different matters are being, are being considered, including here in Washington. Of course, the federal investigators have two investigations going ongoing into the classified documents uh, that were found in Mar-a-Lago. And, of course, the former president's effort to overturn the election, Jake. Uh, there's also the special grand jury down in Georgia where uh, a decision they say is imminent uh, as to whether the former president and other allies uh, might be indicted for their role in trying to interfere in the election there in Georgia. And of course, there's also those civil lawsuits uh, that he's involved in. Uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of different legal cases, which is why you see so many different lawyers for the former president uh, who are involved in various courthouses this week, Jake. All right, Evan Perez, thanks so much. My panel joins us now. Uh, let's uh, talk about this. Um, Sarah, were you, when you saw Donald Trump calling for, your former boss calling for uh, protests, were you worried? I know how shaken you were by January 6th. I'm definitely worried. I think it goes to show he's learned nothing in the aftermath of January 6th. The rhetoric he was using um, was similar to the rhetoric he used around January 6th. I think in his uh, Truth Social post, he said that they needed to protest to, quote, take back our nation. And so it does uh, concern me to see him using that kind of rhetoric that could lead to a violent uptick. But I do think at the same time, we're probably not going to see the same response from his supporters that we saw um, regarding January 6th. I don't think it's going to be the same level. Well, 
for one, Truth Social just doesn't have the reach that Facebook and Twitter and the bully pulpit of the presidency uh, have. One thing you don't hear from all these Republican con- uh, members of Congress defending Donald Trump, saying this is a political prosecution, etc., you don't hear any of them saying that he's innocent. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. Instead, they're trying to downplay the charges. And, you know, I take a slightly different view. I think what Donald Trump learned from January 6th is that, I mean, if he flexes that muscle, every, I mean, look, we, we were just watching cameras being put up and guardrails being put up. I mean, everybody, all parts of our infrastructure kind of jumped. I think he sort of guaranteed he wouldn't be arrested today. But it also shows, I mean, look how quickly Republicans also moved to defend him they know that Trump still has a base of supporters who will come out if they think that he's not being treated fairly. We've seen that all over conservative media. And so you've seen all of the Republicans, even some who are sort of moderate in the whole 15 rounds right. of voting uh, with uh, McCarthy, kind of saying, echoing those talking points that he, they think he's being mistreated and sort of that this is just a, a liberal witch hunt. So at its heart is still the January 6th lie. I mean, that's, that's really like the idea that Donald Trump has been aggrieved. I mean, the Stormy Daniels matter. People can debate it one way or another. But the reason everybody's worried about the protest is because of what we all saw happen January 6th. And right now in Delaware, uh, Dominion is going after Fox for its role in spreading that lie. The Delaware judge today overseeing the case was peppering the Fox News lawyer with questions. At one point asking the Fox lawyer, how can you be fair if you are knowingly providing false information? Uh, Fox argued that the network did not invent the allegations of the stolen election. She blamed that on Trump. But here's how the judge responded. Quote, it could have been a bigger story that a president who lost an election was making all these unsubstantiated false allegations. Now, the judge later said, that's not my my job. I'm a judge, not not a reporter. But this really gets to the whole point of this all, right? Well, this is They're, why... Th- they weren't behaving like journalists. Well, this is why the discovery throughout this whole process has been fascinating, seeing all the hosts saying flatly that they think this stuff is crazy. Now you have Maria Barlaroma's producer saying that she was coerced before testifying or before the discovery process, and Fox used some of her testimony to make their points, and now she's saying that, you know, what she's saying wasn't true. So this really, it, this is not getting any less messy. It's not getting any less, um, it seems like bad for Fox, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see whether it goes to trial. Um, the rate, it doesn't seem to have affected their ratings at all. Um, a Dominion lawyer today claimed that Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch gave implicit but clear instructions to Fox after the election to, quote, shut down the talk of fact-checking and to, quote, let the hosts run wild with election conspiracies. And Dominion wants to put the Murdochs on the stand. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is just a fascinating case, especially if you talk to even Republicans on the Hill quietly, they'll say, why did Fox let this get to discovery? Because all of this stuff is coming out now, as Jackie said, and we're just finding out all of this information that we wouldn't have known otherwise. And what are the reporters who, who work for the network who actually do credible reporting? I mean, what, what do they do now, knowing that all of this is out there? How, how do many you, of them are there left? I, I mean, they're <laughs> Hill reporters. I mean, how do you go up to the Hill and, like, One of them almost got fired because she decided to tweet the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I others mean, of them did get fired. Right. Others of them did get fired. Right. Uh, Chris Steyerwalt and Bill Salmon and a whole bunch of them. Because they stood up for the truth, they did get fired. You know, what's interesting about this. So a lawyer for Fox today said that the network is going to is not going to try to prove that Dominion did, in fact, rig the election, which is notable, notable because truth is an absolute defense. If they prove that, 
they would be able they would win their case. But they can't prove it because it's not true. Exactly. They know it's not true, but they willingly put people on air to spread those lies. They had Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell and others go on air and um, disseminate these lies to the American people. And there are now people who are Fox viewers that have only ever heard that and um, are never going to hear the actual truth that Dominion did not rig the election, that um, the 2020 election was not stolen from Donald Trump. And as a result, um, there are people who don't trust our election system, which is um, a shame. And it's really at the fall of Fox News. And, you know, and it, the conservative media aren't even covering the suit. Of course not, because that's not how the conservative media infrastructure works. I mean, it is a... But if, there's, if this suit I, was going on everything equal, yeah. it was MSNBC, right? Everything oh. equal, MSNBC, <laughs> everybody in the media would be covering. Of course, but Fox News is part of an architecture that has been building for many years with, you know, radio shows and blogs where they keep all of that misinformation and disinformation in that same circuitry and decide what's reality. And guess what? We don't live in the same reality that they do. Um, today, a Dominion lawyer argued that Fox knew exactly what it was doing when it put election conspiracy theorists, including Mike Lindell, the MyPillow CEO on air, quote, they were putting Lindell on air for business purposes. They knew Lindell was crazy, but they also knew he was their highest advertiser and they were trying to assuage them. Lindell, of course, claimed on air that Dominion uh, rigged the election against Trump. I mean, I just I just have to say, like, this is like the biggest media scandal in the last 50 years. I can't think of anything even remotely close to this. Yes, you have Jason Blair at The New York Times and you have, you know, people in the Bush administration with the WMD and Judith Miller at The New York Times, et cetera. But I can't think of anything this size. Well, it's it's and to to jump off what Karen was saying, not only were they part of the ecosystem, they were desperate to stay there because we saw in that again in those discovery transcripts that they were worried about losing viewers to other pieces of newer pieces of that infrastructure. And that's why they, you know, kept up with this lie. I mean, and it, 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 is, it is right there in black and white in these transcripts and in these emails. Yeah, it's sort of ironic because some of these newer um, folks came around because of Trump. And yet you had the what, what was the trouble that Fox got itself into? They told the truth about the 2020 election. And well, how Castaro got fired. Right. And may have upset Trump viewers, right? So it all, in so many ways, comes back to Trump and the way he has co-opted this infrastructure. I think this is, this is to me, one of the biggest problems with the, the, the ideological media that exists out there. I'm not talking about honest ideological uh, media, but, but dishonest ideological media. Is that, like, when you create a, an audience that is just about preaching to the choir, then that business model is based on dishonesty. Yeah, and I, I think the, the problem we're seeing is still continuing today, right, with Tucker... Carlson in the 41,000 hours of January 6th security tape and the way he's choosing to portray it as like a peaceful protest or some kind of nonsense. Obviously, it wasn't, right? It was an insurrection. And yet the people who are watching this continue to buy into that, you know, and we have House Republicans who are releasing this tape to him. So I it, and it, still, and no and one still else. refusing yeah. to show, share it <laughs> yeah. with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's where does this end? When does it stop? Right. That's the question. Yeah. Thanks, one and all. Appreciate it. Fentanyl kills tens of thousands of Americans every year, tragically. And now a new warning about the substance being mixed with animal tranquilizers. Fentanyl and an animal tranquilizer. The frightening details of that next. Stay with us. 
In our health lead now, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, is warning of a new urgent threat, a multi-drug resistant fungus that can enter your bloodstream and infect your heart, your eyes, and your brain. And this fungus is spreading at an alarming rate in healthcare facilities across the United States. To make matters worse, the medicine commonly recommended to treat it is becoming increasingly ineffective. CNN's Elizabeth Cohen is here to explain. Elizabeth, tell us more about this fungus and how it spreads. Jake, this fungus, it's really scary when you see this happening in healthcare facilities and nursing homes, because these are sometimes people with the most weak immune systems who really can't handle this. So let's take a look at what this is. It's a fungus that's called Candida auris, and cases have been resistant to first-line treatment often. That number that have been resistant to first-line treatment, that number tripled in 2021. To make things even worse, it can be difficult to identify when someone has this fungus. That means it can get pretty advanced, and more than one in three patients with invasive CRS infections die. So when this gets bad, it gets really bad. Let's take a look at the increase in the number of cases. If we look back to 2016, we see 53 cases reported. You look at 2021, more than 1,400 cases. If we look at 2021 on its own, cases nearly tripled in that one year. Jake? How concerned should we be about this fungus? You know, I think if you're a healthy person, the CDC says this really won't so much be an issue for you. The concern really is about people who are in the hospitals where catheters get infected or central lines get infected. And, you know, unfortunately, that could be any of us at any time, right, or anyone in our family, any of our friends. So you should be concerned if you have a loved one in the hospital and they're showing, you know, something's not going right. This is definitely something that you can bring up to the doctor and say, hey, I heard about this new infection. Should we test for this? Why hasn't it been controlled yet? I mean, I know that's easier said than done, but but does there need to be more of an effort by the government? You know, it's interesting because hospital um, acquired infections were such a huge problem. And in the early 2000s, hospitals really did a good job at, at getting better at controlling these infections. But they were infections that they knew about, infections that they knew they needed to be more careful about. I think hospitals really could get better at these new infections, when something is newly emerging, and we can see this has been emerging, you know, slowly over the past couple of years, there needs to be quicker action. And yes, there has been criticism, especially of sort of state, you know, licensing, state boards that govern this kind of thing to be more on top of this and to get the hospitals to be more on top of it. And meanwhile, in a separate story, the U.S. Drug Enfor- Enforcement Administration is warning of this deadly concoction that can make drug overdoses even deadlier. Tell us more about that. Yes, this is really horrible. So as if fentanyl and heroin weren't enough, now there is another concern about a drug that's actually, it's a legit veterinary drug. It's used to sedate large animals like horses and deer. And so let's take a look at what that one is and what's going on there. So it's a sedative for veterinary use. It can be mixed with fentanyl, heroin, etc. There is no antidote. And so the issue here is that horribly dangerous drugs become even more dangerous. Now, Jake, our colleague, uh, she interviewed some folks uh, about this who were addicted to it. Let's take a look at what L. Ree found when she did these interviews. They removed seven pounds of flesh and a liter and a half of pus. It's 
been open for 21 months. That's how horrible it is. Trying to this. Doesn't let your body heal. It's killing us. Slow but sure it's killing us. Some of us earlier than others, but it's eventually going to kill you if you keep going. And I see it every day. Death. Every day. Right next to you. So not only does xylazine cause heart rates to go down critically low, cause blood pressure to go down critically low, it can also cause these horrible skin sores and ulcers because it can cause blood vessels to dilate. So in addition to all of these other problems, people are getting these horrible skin sores. They're often being left untreated, which can lead to eventual amputations sometimes. Is the government doing anything about this? So the FDA recently said, look, we are going to do more to try to keep this out of the country when it's coming in for illegitimate reasons, because there are legitimate veterinary reasons. But they said we're going to do more so that it doesn't come in for illegitimate reasons. But, Jake, we know how hard it is to keep illegitimate drugs from coming into the country. All right, Elizabeth Cohen, thank you so much. What do The Boss and Elaine from Seinfeld have in common? Well, they're both at the White House today getting... Very important awards. We'll tell you more next. In our pop culture lead now, the president honoring the boss, Bruce Springsteen, among others, just moments ago at the White House. Vera Wang, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Gladys Knight, Mindy Kaling, among those recognized by the president at the star-studded event. President Biden honored them with the 2021 National Medal of the Arts and 11 others with the National Humanities Medal. The overdue ceremony delayed because of the pandemic. CNN's Phil Mattingly is at the White House for us. And Phil, this was the first arts and humanities ceremony for President Biden. Yeah, and quite a collection of celebrities, or as the president said, masters of their craft from the arts, from acting, painting, uh, authors, uh, Pulitzer Prize winners kind of across the board uh, seated in the East Room as the president, in a mostly lighthearted affair, uh, handed out the medals, uh, the Humanities Medals, the National Medals of the Arts. Now, he did uh, present a National uh, Humanities Medal to Elton John in person last year, but as you noted, this was the first in-person broader ceremony. These are technically the 2021 awards, and while it was mostly a lighthearted affair, the president did flick at a little bit of the political intrigue here, talking about Colson White heads back-to-back Pulitzer Prize uh, uh, victories. Uh, he did note that he is also considering uh, perhaps going back-to-back, seeming to be an illusion of the fact he still hasn't officially said he's going to run for re-election. Now, I will note, Jake, doing this hit with you, a Philly guy and a Dartmouth alum, brings a lot of pressure to it, given the fact that the boss was uh, officially uh, awarded the medal, as was Mindy Kaling. I hope, Jake, I delivered. <laughs> Yeah, you did great. You did great, Philip. Thank you so much. And mark your calendars because I sat down with a different person from entertainment, America's favorite coach, Ted Lasso, this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. CNN primetime, the Ted Lasso phenomenon. Jason Sudeikis, one-on-one, will air only on CNN. Until tomorrow, of course, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at this lead CNN. If you ever miss an episode of the show, you can listen to the lead from whence you get your podcasts all sitting there like a giant corned beef sandwich. Our coverage continues next with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.